0: Good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're here today. We are, this is our second installment in our series entitled Define the Relationship. And last week we talked about uh, singleness and dating, what the Bible had to say about that. Today we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about marriage. And I brought along with me today my wife, Debbie. We've been married 35 years, and we're experts on marriage, right? I don't,
1: I don't know about that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. 35 years is a long time, though.
0: Wow, that was encouraging. Okay. <laughs> Hey, you know Valentine's Day is near when we're talking love talk like that. Man, yeah, it's a long time. Anyway, so (laughs) uh, we do want to talk about what the Bible has to say. I don't want to remind you, one of our values here at Centerpoint is this, is that the Bible is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. We have biblical authority, and that's encouraging because we don't have to figure it out. Um, I mean, isn't it great to know that the Bible is a compass and shows us what to do?
1: Yeah, it takes all the fear out of it, for me, the guesswork out of it. I mean, there's an answer. We have truth, and it gives us direction. We don't have to make this stuff up.
0: No, and what's fun, too, is that we can come to the Lord no matter what our circumstance. Whenever we come to the Bible, we'll find truth and hope. And so today, even as we talk about marriage, I mean, some of you haven't even ever thought about being married. Some of you might be dating and you're going, oh my goodness, this is, I came, I brought, I, I'm dating somebody and we're here and now it's like, oh, there's pressure to be married. There's no pressure. Uh, some of you might be happily married. Some of you had the biggest fight you ever had just yesterday. And some of you have been through a painful divorce. I mean, this is where we are all over the page. But one of the things that's so great about God's word is we can come to his word and we can always find hope. We can always find forgiveness. We can always find encouragement. And I hope that when you come here today, you'll find the same thing because we're a bunch of sinners saved by God's grace here at Center Point and we believe that God loves us, he'll restore us, and he'll show us how to help each other. And if that's good news to you, would you say amen? Amen. Yeah. Never be afraid of coming to God's word or coming to God's presence, and hopefully you won't be afraid of coming in among God's people when we discuss his word because there's love here and there's hope here. Would you pray for us today? Yes,
1: let's pray together. Holy Father, we just come before you this morning. We just, um, we worship you and we praise you because you are worthy. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you that you didn't leave us here alone to figure things out. You've given us your word and your Holy Spirit, and we are so grateful. Father, I pray that during this time this morning that um, you would be glorified And that you would do a mighty work among us. Teach us what you want us to know. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged, Lord. We love you, Father. It's the name of Jesus that we ask these things. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, we got a bunch to cover today. Hopefully you got an outline on your way in. Or if you're joining us online, you can uh, pull up uh, uh, my sermon notes there. It's pretty easy to do. Uh, But point A simply says this. The Bible says that God is the one who came up with the definition of marriage. As a uniting of one man and one woman in a covenant relationship for a lifetime. You go, well, John, that's an oddly specific wording there. Well, it's not. Uh, those, come, those wordings there of the uniting one man and one woman in covenant relationship for a lifetime, that comes from uh, our statement of beliefs at points, Statement of Beliefs. If you've never been to the website and checked out, hey, what we believe, well, this is, there's a statement there on marriage and family. But I wanted everybody, I wanted you to hear that. And by the way, on the back side of your outline here, there's a question four on the connect groups. You'll find a little more on that statement. You'll find there's even more. Uh, But the idea behind that is this, is that Jesus was the one who said in Matthew 19, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And Jesus was, in that circumstance there, in that passage, Jesus was being confronted by some people who said, hey, is it okay if I just divorce my wife for any reason and send her off? What do you think? And this was done by some of Jesus' enemies. They were trying to trap him into saying something that wasn't popular. In that day, there were many people who did that exactly. Every time they came across a problem with their spouse, I mean, this was uh, for men only in that day. Anytime their wife didn't please them, they'd just send her packing. And Jesus said, well... No, I mean, from the beginning, God made a male and female to join together as one person, as one flesh, the two becoming one. And so it's important that we understand this, that God came up with that definition. Now, it's also important as we're talking about defining a relationship that we understand that there are many people in our culture who would disagree with this. I mean, right, Deb? I mean, you don't have to look far.
1: No, and it's amazing. It was going on in Jesus' day. It's going on today. That people are trying to redefine marriage. They're trying to um, change things to really just so that they can allow themselves to do anything they want to do.
0: And anytime we do that, we invite pain and hardship into our lives. When we come to God and say, God, I've blown it. I want to get this right. Well, then he'll show us the way forward. I mean, he's so amazing about restoring us, forgiving us, and giving us the right direction. And that's why it's important we go over this. So not only does the Bible define marriage as a relationship between one man and one woman and a covenant relationship for a lifetime, I mean, Jesus did that way, Uh, but it also gives us three good reasons why he did this. And the first would be companionship. And Debbie, I'll let you read that passage. Okay.
1: Okay. Um, In Genesis, he said, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one.
0: Yeah, and in the context of Genesis 2, Adam had been naming all the animals, and God brought a male and a female from every one of the species, an animal, and Adam was naming them. And he noticed after he named like aardvarks and giraffes and everything else, all these different animals that... He didn't have anybody for him. And God showed him that need. And then when he brought the woman to him, he goes, at last. Wow. Which is what I said when I met you. Yeah. Okay, at last. At wow. Yeah. Okay, good. All right, good. Is. Back on track. Okay. But the idea here is companionship and that God made us complimentary. And that's the life application here. In marriage, we're looking for ways to complement each other, not compete. I mean, he made men and women different. So just like left and right hands. I mean, we're a lot the same. I mean, but in some ways we are completely different. Nobody said amen. Okay, that's interesting, but it's true. And when you get in marriage, that's always the question. Am I going to try to compliment my spouse or am I going to try to compete with my spouse? Listen to some instructions from God's word. Colossians 3. Wives, understand and support your husbands. That means even when they don't think like you think, by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Now listen to 1 Peter 3.7. That was Colossians 3. Here's 1 Peter 3. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives and treat her with the understanding as you live together, even if she thinks differently than you think. She may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. I mean, the question is, will we embrace this, that God has made us different in key ways so we can complement each other, so that we're, we can do things we could never do on our own? I mean, because we have a left and right hand, there are all kinds of things we can do. And it's the same way you and I can complement each other. But yeah. when we first got married, that wasn't inherently obvious.
1: No, in fact, that life application, says we're to complement each other not compete with each other. And, you know, when we first got married, that that was a hard lesson to learn. And I remember once we were, I remember this vividly, once we were arguing. And uh, one of the things I've always loved about John is his intelligence and the way he thinks logically. And it's just so different from the way I think. And if you ever argue with John, (laughs) if you want to know how John thinks, look at your outline. A million points. They're all logical, in order, and that's just not really the way I work. So um, I remember we were arguing about something, and he was on his, like, fifth analogy, and his 110th reason why he was right and I was wrong. And I remember looking at him and just saying, you know, are, are you trying to reconcile and restore this relationship? Are you trying to win?
0: And I was trying to win, I was about to. Thank you very much. I mean,
1: <laughs> clearly, and I had to remind him we're on the same team. God yeah. brought us together. We complement each other in so many ways. I mean, there's so many things that I admire about him. Mm. And I'm grateful for all the gifts that God has given him because they, it works differently. I mean, they work together with the gifts that I have. But we have to remind each other all the time, we're not in competition. We're not, we don't need to fight each other. We're a team.
0: Yeah, we're Team Schmidt. And when there are, there's a problem, we bring our gifts and our abilities and our viewpoints together so that we can solve it together. There's pro- there are problems we can solve I need her perspective, I don't see it that way. And she'll say, oh, I never would've thought of that. And the same thing's true the other way. Yeah. Occasionally. Yeah. Okay, there we go, all right. <laughs> but it's just true, we complement each other. And, and this is what the trick of making marriage work is to see that, hey, we're not in competition, we're not here to compete, we're here to complete each other. And that's gonna require patience and love and working things out but please be encouraged if you have disagreements and conflict. Well, of course you do because you look at things differently. I mean, that's normal for marriage. What's not good is when we allow those things, when we try to make the other person think exactly like we think, that's a mistake. And that's not what God's word teaches. And what you'll find in healthy marriages, there's lots of discussion and there's lots of prayer and people work through this. A second reason that God defines in his word that he created marriage the way he did with the male and female and all this is so we can raise godly children. Yes. I mean, Deb, would you read those scriptures too?
1: Um, In Genesis, um, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. And then in Malachi too, he said, did the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth.
0: And what was going on there in the situation where Malachi is talking was pretty much the same situation was going on when people were trying to trick trick Jesus by saying something that was unpopular. The people in Malachi's day, the men were divorcing their wives. Every time the wife would get a little older and they'd see a younger, more beautiful model come along, (coughs) well, they could just divorce their wives. And... Malachi was rebuking them and saying, hey, God wants you to raise godly children. Now, this isn't just biologically reproduce. He wants us to reproduce spiritually as well. I mean, godly children not only means that we bring children into the world physically, but that we raise them. And he said, you know what I want from you? I want you to model godliness for your children. I mean, that's the next point. You can go ahead and write that in too. Point three, modeling God's love. I mean, not only are we to model God's love to the culture, we're to model God's love to our kids. But if I'm getting rid of my wife because I find someone, well, hypothetically here, if I found someone, oh my goodness, I don't, don't, I'm just not even going to finish this statement. Okay, this is wrong. But let's just say someone wanted to say, hey, I'm going to divorce my wife because I found a younger, more beautiful woman. Well, as we age, those things are going to be attractive to us all the time for men and women. But God was rebuking the people in Malachi's day. How are you going to raise godly kids if every few years you're just kicking the wife to the curb? How are they going to learn anything about commitment? How are they going to learn anything about forgiveness? How are they going to learn anything for how much I love men and women? I brought you together. That's what Peter said. You're equal partners in God's love here. Now, this is important. And we need to embrace this and because godly children, it's not just children, it's godly children. And there have been study after study that have been uh, conducted now. there was another one that just came out last year again where, I mean, raising godly children is hard. If you've tried to raise godly children, can I get an amen on that? That's hard. Can amen. You, yeah, amen. It's hard. And as a single parent, I think we'd all agree that's even harder. And so God is saying here, look. Work through this. But every time we have two-parent homes, there's study after study that verifies <coughs> this is the best thing we could have for kids. The study in 2021 came out just last year. It, said, it says this, that um, in a social scientific consensus about family structure, children are significantly more likely to avoid poverty and prison and graduate from college if they're raised in an intact two-parent family. And these benefits are true across all racial lines. I think we can understand that. I mean, that makes sense because you'd have two people trying to raise the kids instead of just one. And they're learning about commitment and unconditional love, not conditional love, how I love you until you get gray hair or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I I think this is one of the things that jumps out to me in these scriptures is that God loves he loves us and he loves having more children to love and we've recognized this being grandparents all of a sudden it's like the best thing ever it's just you have more love to love more children and god created us not so that we could perform for him but so he could love us and we could reflect that love to others it's a wonderful gift
0: we read this passage last week we'll read it again as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and his mother, joined to his wife, the two are united into one. It's a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I mean, you'll find this all throughout the scriptures. In a committed, loving relationship in marriage, oh man, that requires sacrifice, it requires forgiveness, it requires patience. And when we stay in it year after year, it shows how God never gives up on us. Oh, this is wonderful. I met with a couple um, just the other day, and they're getting married. Uh, I'm doing their wedding ceremony soon. And I said, what attracted you to your husband and uh, to be here, to your fiance? And she said, well, he loved me when I didn't love myself. She said, I've never experienced love like that before. And she started to cry, and then I started to cry, and it was terrible. (laughs) No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Our kids need to see that. Our neighbors need to see that. And that's hard that we're gonna need God's help. We'll talk about we're gonna get God's help on this. That's coming. So if you feel a little bit overwhelmed, you should. I mean when Jesus was saying this, his disciples said, Well man, if you talk about it like that, it'd probably be better if we never got married. And Jesus says, well, God helps people. I mean, those who can hear us, God gives us help on this. So we're going to come to that in a minute. But before we do, the Bible not only tells us three good reasons why God designed marriage the way he did, the Bible clearly defines three threats to godly marriages. And the first is the world. You want to go with that?
1: I do. Um, let me read that scripture. 1 John two fifteen and 16 says, do not love this world or the things it offers you, For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. Um, The world is everything that is not of God. It's all the culture offers. And a lot of times we are getting um, our goals in life, I guess you could say, and our attitudes toward marriage from athletes, movie stars, anybody rich and famous that we can admire from afar. And they probably, they may or may not know the Lord at all. That's why we go to God's word. And that's why we need that compass. That's why we turn to him. And it says, it talks about loving the world. As a believer, this is always a pull. This is what Satan wants us to fall in love with the world and all that it offers, all the things that will never truly satisfy us and take our eyes off of God. And that will destroy, it can potentially destroy our marriage because we're not focusing on what God has us to do in our marriage, not focusing on praying for our spouse and cultivating a a home um, that's centered on the Lord, where our eyes are everywhere else um, on all the things that the world offers, and none of them will satisfy us.
0: Yeah, so there's many people in our world that are working hard to redefine marriage. If you're not aware of that, I mean, you're just not on social media. I mean, we're trying to redefine it all the time and say, well, yeah, I mean, we know the Bible says what it says, but... That's not true. I mean, you have Christian denominations that are splitting over this exact issue right now. I mean, this is going on all around us. And so when we talk today, I know that there are many people who completely disagree in our culture with everything that we're saying here today, that this is out of date. It's not. I mean, when we go God's way, that's when we find abundant life.
1: John, a lot of people feel like if they just live together, then that's kind of like marriage.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the ways that we redefine marriage is we just say, well, it's just a piece of paper. I mean, living together is the same thing, and it's not. I mean, living together works this way. Let's move in together. Let's see if it works. If it goes well, if you like it, I like it, we'll stay together. If there's a problem, we'll leave. We'll split up. No harm, no foul. Well, that's not marriage. Marriage is when we move in together, we say, hey, I'm gonna love you for better or for worse. I know there's gonna be hard times coming. If we stay together, 35, 45, 55 years, whatever the Lord gives us, I know there's going to be times when we're richer and I know there's times when we're poor. I know there's times when we're going to be healthy and times when we're going to be sick. I know when we're going to have good times, I know there's going to be hard times, but I'd rather go through the hard times with you than go through the best times without you. I love you. I'm in no matter what. And you can have this ring back when you pry it from my cold, dead finger. <laughs> now, we don't use that wording in the marriage ceremony, but that's what it means. That's what it means. So you think about it, and here's what's so interesting. A friend of mine sent me this. He'd heard me say this years ago, and he said, John, I heard in a premarital session you did that you said that living together actually prepares you for divorce better than for marriage. He goes, you'll be interested to know. And this was one week ago. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal, and if you email me, I'll send you a link to it. They did a study on this, and they said, surprise, surprise, couples who don't live together before they're married have a much lower divorce rate than couples that do. And they came to the exact conclusion that we're talking about here. They said the reasons aren't exactly clear, but it seems to be that if couples have practice of giving up whenever anything gets hard, then that's what they carry into marriage. Remember, marriage is about unconditional love. I'm gonna love you no matter what, no matter how hard this gets. I'm in. And we all get touched when you we hear about. Somebody who stayed with their spouse even when they were going through dementia and took care of them. Or they were going through a really bad business time and the other person sacrificed and helped them through. Or they paid their way or they took care of all the responsibilities while the other person was going to med school or whatever it was. Man, that touches us. And it should because it's genuine love.
1: John, the last point on there is our fast-paced lifestyles put incredible pressure on marriage and family relationships. And I think all of us can relate to this. Life just gets really, really busy between jobs, careers, and children playing a 1,000 sports. And, you know, the kids are eating dinner in the back of the car every night because you're rushing to get somewhere. And all of a sudden, we don't have time for relationship with your spouse because you're so busy doing everything else. And next thing you know, you look at this person, and you're like, wow, I don't even... Feel close to you anymore, mm-hmm. and it's because you haven't tried to feel close to them. You've been pulled away by all the other um, cares and activities in your life.
0: So remember that our culture, our world, is beaming all sorts of things at us, all sorts of things saying, you know, and we're watching everybody's picture, how happy they are, and other things. And man, and that brings us to the next point. Another thing that wars against us is our flesh, because we look at those. There's desires within me. I want to be happy. I want my needs met. This is my flesh. These are my own selfish desires. Hebrews 13, 4, it says, Give honor to marriage, remain faithful uh, to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. And some of you have had this happen to you. And you know exactly how painful it is. It's crushing. And the reason it's forbidden is because God wants us to work things through, but our affections, my affections need to be for Debbie. And here's three, here are three things we can... We need to work on if we're going to maintain this and not give in to all the things that the world says. First of all, we must not indulge in sinful practices that inflame lust and tempt us to sexual immorality. I'm talking about things like pornography, dirty jokes, immodest clothing, inappropriate relationships, basically 50% of everything that's on Twitter or any other social media platform. You can find all these things all the time. And if we indulge in this, well, then all of a sudden I'm looking at my spouse and she's looking at me going, hey, how come you're not like these people? Well, this is trying to sell me something. And the Lord says, don't, don't do that. Also, we must not embrace selfish motive. What's in it for me or my needs aren't being met? And man, we can get into a pity party. She's not meeting my needs. He's not caring for me. What's in it for me? And then all of a sudden all these messages look pretty good. We must not embrace unrealistic expectations, unending romance, unending passion, no conflict, having it all. I mean, if we have conflict in our marriage, it means we should have never gotten married. No, if you have conflict in your marriage, it means you're normal. (laughs) Now, whether or not you know how to resolve it, that's a different issue. I mean, I meet with people all the time. They're terrible at resolving conflict. Well, their parents were terrible at resolving conflict. Their friends were terrible at it. They just have to learn how to resolve it, and we had to learn
1: yeah, we did. I had very unrealistic expectations, and, you know, part of that was just, I, like, like the argument, the conflict resolution, I had never done that before. I had to learn all of that. It was really difficult for me, and I, I had in my head that life was going to be perfect, and we're riding off together in the sunset, and no problems, and so it was just unrealistic and immature. And I was and,
0: glad to bring the reality home, right here, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
1: know. I, I, there's, you learn so much. But the one thing that we shared last week that I, I felt like was important to remind us is that no one will ever satisfy you completely except for the Lord. I, I, for me to think that John is going to satisfy my every need and desire is just immature thinking. It's, it's not possible. God made us with a longing for him. Only he can satisfy our every desire and need.
0: Yeah, and so it's, it's good to take stock on this and say, hey, what are my expectations? Now, so the world will tempt us as a threat, our flesh, our own selfish desires, and thirdly, the devil. There is a devil. He's very real. Peter said, 1 Peter 5, 8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and if you remember on this statement of marriage, if you, if you read any more of our statement of marriage, it goes, the marriage is the building block of society. It's a foundation stone. And if the devil can destroy any part of our culture and keep us at odds with each other and get us to turn against each other, if he destroys enough marriages, our whole culture can fall. Does everybody understand how important this is? I and mean, this can destroy us, not just as our families. It can destroy our whole culture. And that's why it's so important that we understand the stakes here. When Paul was writing the Ephesians, he said, in your anger, don't sin, don't let the sun go down when you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. I mean, this is what happens. I mean, and it could be whether it's with anger or it could be whether it's fast-paced lifestyle or something. If we give the devil a foothold, man, when he gets a foothold, he's working on a handhold, and if he can get us far enough apart, he can blow the whole thing up. Now he can mess with our kids, he can mess with our love for each other, he can mess with our whole society. He's not stupid. He's wicked, and he's busy. And if you want to know what spiritual warfare looks like, that's what it looks like. That's one of the ways. That's one of the forms it takes. Now, I don't want to stop there. The Bible clearly gives us definition of marriage and three good reasons. It gives us three threats, but the Bible also clearly defines three sources of help for our marriages, places we can find help. And Debbie, the first one is God's word, and you wanted this scripture. You said, we got to read 2 Peter 1, and so a passage from there, so... Why don't you read that and tell us why?
1: Okay. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. I love that first line in there. God has given us everything we need for godly living. He has given us everything we need for godly living. If you go to his word, you will find all the promises that he's given us that enable us to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption. So go to his word. His word is, will be a great help to you as you work through issues in your marriage. He gives us everything we need, but if we don't read it, we don't know it.
0: Yeah, and it's the big reason why when you come here, we always print out all the passages, why we're always going to teach from God's word every week here at this church. The Bible's our guide. It's everything we need, but we've got to spend time. We've got to know it. Secondly, we'll find a source of help through the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2.13, people tell me, John, you quote this verse more often than any other. I do, because I just want us to believe it. I want us to hear it as much as we can. Praise God, we're not in this alone. The Holy Spirit not only guides us, but he empowers us. Listen to this. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Philippians 2.13. Could we read that verse out loud together, please? For For God is working working in in you. Giving giving you you the the desire and the the power power to to do do what pleases him. him. Man, that's important in marriage. Because he's the one who inspired the people who wrote the scripture to write it. The Holy Spirit is the one who will then help me understand it and empower me to obey it. Praise God. But thirdly, he gives us... Hey, John, can I say one thing about the Holy Spirit?
1: One thing I love is that um, like over time, since we've been married um, a number of years... I could look back at the beginning of our marriage and look at us now, and I see ways that God has completely, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit has completely changed us, and we weren't even really aware of it. Yeah. Just because we were trying to walk with Him, he will, he will work in you and conform you to His image. You don't have to try to make yourself godly. The Holy Spirit will work in you and change you from the inside out.
0: Yeah, in His grace, He works in us in times that we don't even know. Thirdly, he gives us each other, other Christians. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you are godly, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Oh, this is a wonderful hope. We're not in this alone. We have God's word to guide us. We have the Holy Spirit to empower us. We have other Christians who can help us. That's why we're not afraid to embrace a high standard of marriage. Because if we blow it, Christians can help us on the right path. If you're struggling in your marriage, please call us. But I hope you also know in here, it doesn't just say it's church staff, it's other Christians. If you can help a brother or a sister in Christ, you don't have to have a seminary degree to go help people talk. Go over there and pray with them. Say, hey, can I pray with you all? Can I encourage you? I mean, this is important. Now, Debbie, you had a fourth point you wanted to add, and we'll wrap up with that.
1: I did. The last one that we did not have on your outline that I'd like for you to add is number four is to pray together. Um, John yeah. and I, have, from the beginning of our marriage, have, have said that we will commit to praying together every night before we go to bed. Of course, we pray now lots of times during the day together whenever we have an issue. But if you can establish that pattern in your marriage of praying together, God will honor that and he draws your heart together in a deeper way that you can't do on your own.
0: Yeah, and there's times when we pray, man, we're mad at each other.
1: It's a short prayer usually.
0: Yeah, Lord <laughs> Some like, Lord straighten that woman out. <laughs> no, that we don't pray not that. What you pray. That would be bad. <laughs> we do pray we go, Lord, you know we're having a really hard time with this. Would you help us love each other? You brought us together. We know you did. You want us to help work through this. Would you show us how to work through this? And sometimes we just have to, we have to trust that he's going to show us what to do. And he always does. Look, marriage is a wonderful thing. But what we're saying here is, is that you're going to need the Lord's help. Let's get the Lord's help. If you're not married, come get our premarital counseling if you're thinking about it. If you're having troubles with your marriage, well, let somebody know. Let us know. We'll help you. If you're having a great time in marriage, well, let's celebrate that. Or if you've been through a divorce and you've been deeply wounded, well, come see us too, that God can help there. Will you pray with me? Lord, I just thank you for your word. I just thank you that you give us direction so we can know how things are supposed to work. And even when we blow it, you give us direction on how to come to you and repent. Lord, you know how weak we are and how foolish we are. Thank you, Lord, that you give us guidance. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to empower us. And thank you, Lord, for brothers and sisters in Christ who can help restore us. If the Lord spoke to you about something today, just in a moment of silence, would you go, Lord, I'm glad I came here today. I needed this reminder. I needed this encouragement. Now, would you pray for one relationship, one... Dating, somebody who might be dating, that might be leading the marriage. Somebody whose marriage is going through a tough time or maybe somebody who just got divorced and they're really reeling right now. Would you pray for that person right now? Asking God to bring them direction or comfort or encouragement, whatever they need. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.